It didn't just cover some of it and a combination of something else. It covers it all. I was sharing someone the plan of salvation just today. What a blessing it was to be able to point them to a single solution for the sin problem they have. And I'm so thankful. Calvary covers it all. If it was up to me to cover any of it, I hate to tell you, I probably, I'm surely could not do it. But I'm so thankful Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. I was thinking about this past week. I get alerts on my credit report on my phone. And I got an alert that my credit had changed, and I you know, worked hard all my life to keep good credit. And I got an alert that it had changed. Went on there and looked at the alert, and it was not good. Uh, said I owed $15,000 a month in debt. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was scary to death, Brother Bolt. And uh, so I got on the phone immediately, and I called Equifax. I said, hey, man, what's going on with this, you know? First, I asked my wife, what have you been buying on Amazon, you know? Uh, I mean, I don't mind her buying something every once. She's in the nursery, for those of you looking around, so she's not listening. I'm thinking, what has she bought? $15,000 a month? And uh, I don't even have that much debt to begin with, period. And so I called them, and they said, look, it's something to do with your bank, and I called my bank, and they says, well, there's something on here that says you owe this. And I said, sir, that was paid for a long time ago. Uh, it was a land note, some land that I had bought back in 2017. And they said, sir, I am so sorry. We made a mistake. Uh, it's paid for. Aren't you glad God don't make those kind of mistakes? He keeps really, really good records. And when I stand before him, he knows the blood has been applied to my account. I don't know if there's an angel up there that has a stamp on it that says paid in full, uh, but that's what it means, amen. It's been paid in full through what Jesus did on the cross for you and I. I hope you know that tonight. I hope you know it, okay? I'm not saying I hope you've heard of it. I think all of us have heard of it. We've grown up in the Bible Belt. We've heard it all of our life. We've sung about it all of our life, but I hope you know that. Because before too terribly long, as the song says, our faith will become sight. And if you know it, look, you've got nothing to worry about other than making sure you're in the will of God when he comes. But if you don't know that, I pray you'll come to know him tonight before it's too late. It is good to see you on a Wednesday. Uh, and I know it's wet out there. I told Brother Jim this morning, he and I were talking, talking about the rain. And I hate getting out of my car and getting my shoes wet. I just hate that. And getting my fancy socks wet, too. You know, they wear out quicker that way. And I told Brother Jim, I'm trying not to complain about the things that God controls. You know, because I complain about it, but God knows what we need, and God's going to give us what we need. And to complain about it is the question whether or not God knows what we need. So, you know, evidently, we needed a whole boatload of rain, and uh, we're getting it. So I thank God for that. Brother Jeff texted me this morning. He says, time to build the ark 2.0. Uh, maybe before too long. I don't know, especially the kids back there getting into class. They're having to wade through a pond to get into school. But thank the Lord for it. Thank the Lord for the privilege of being here tonight. And uh, I'm going to share with you just a little bit more in the book of Lamentations, if you want to go ahead and be turning there. Lamentations chapter number 5, rounding the corner, getting close to the end. And I'll give you just a little bit of funny to encourage you tonight. I got to the office, and I keep most of my notes as I go throughout my week. I make some notes on my phone. If I'm driving down the road, the Lord puts something on my heart, I'll dictate it to my phone. Uh, sometimes I'll be sitting there on my couch. I won't have a, a notebook handy, and so I'll just pull out my iPad and write down some notes on my iPad. And when I'm in the office, I'll put my notes on the computer. Uh, so all of that consolidates when I get ready to preach. All of those notes go together, and I keep them on my iPad. That way I have hundreds and hundreds of messages on the iPad, and I can go back and look to them. Uh, so I had my notes uh, on the uh, iPad tonight. I got back to the office, and I flipped open the cover and saw that it was at 9%. 
And for the second time in my life, I forgot to charge my notes. And so we're going to have to go old school tonight off of paper. So if that duck comes on and wind begins to blow and the spirit begins to move my notes across the floor, you guys on the front row catch, catch them and get them back up here to me tonight. That is a fear of mine. It's happened before. All of a sudden, the air kick on and your notes go hitting the floor and you can't get them back in order. And so you just wing it because you're full of pride. Lamentations chapter number five and uh, getting toward the end of our book here, trying to get down to verse number 20 our, or verse number 21, our theme verse for the year. And tonight I want you to look down. We finished up last week on verse number 13. Tonight we're going to read verse 14, 15, and 16, and then we'll pray. Lamentations five, look down to verse number 14. The elders have ceased from the gate. The young men from their music, the joy of our heart is ceased. Our dance is turned into mourning. The crown is fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. Notice the exclamation point after that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you, Father, for including such a vivid example to us, Lord, of the price for sin. Help us to learn from it tonight, Lord. Help us not just to hear it, but to heed it. I pray, Lord, our hearts would be challenged, Lord, not just for our country, but for our homes and our hearts. Lord, it begins there and spreads out into our country. So help us do our part tonight as the people of Central Baptist Church, both in the building and on property, and those watching tonight. Help us just be obedient to how you lead in the message that we might, Lord, be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Thank you for it again. I pray you'd use it to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have to admit, as I was reading through chapter 5 this week, uh, kind of get a little bit nostalgic. You know, we started at the end of January looking at the book of Lamentations. I believe it's a very applicable book for the day and age that we're living in. And I'm a very sentimental person, very nostalgic. So as you usually you get toward the end of something, you begin looking back. And I begin looking back at all of the topics that we have covered in the book of Lamentations since the end of January. Now, obviously not every Wednesday night, but most Wednesday nights this year we have gone on through the book of Lamentations, and as we've looked at it from so many different angles, we're seeing a very vivid but horrible picture of basically what is the end of sin, all right? What we're seeing in the book of Lamentations is ultimately the end of sin and where sin is going to lead us. I have read through these verses in all five chapters so many times throughout 2021. Uh, I thought of it this way. I felt like I have walked up and down the streets of Jerusalem so many times that I can almost smell the smoke of their destruction. Uh, walking up and down the chapters and verses of this book have given us a vivid, vivid account of what happens when we turn our backs on God. That's why it's so prevalent in the day and age we're living for us to understand this and then for us to heed it. Now, if there's one thing I'm sure about is when you read the book of Lamentations, God makes himself clear. Okay. Uh, now, I may not always make the messages clear. I would be the first to agree with you on that. The first question I always ask my wife after I preach most of the time is, did I make that clear? You know, Because when people are staring at you but not smiling, not nodding, not even paying attention, sometimes falling asleep, you wonder, did I make myself clear? Did I make the message clear? Now, I may not make the message clear, but the Holy Spirit of God is always going to make his message clear, and the Word of God is always going to be quick and powerful if we allow the Word of God to accomplish what he desires in our life. Now, here's what we must understand. We have gone through nearly this entire book seeing the end of sin and the judgment of God. We've almost gone through the entire book. We have seen too much not to be held accountable to it. 
God has shown us what happens when we rebel against him and we push away righteousness to go our own way. And the book of Lamentations has been almost a pop-up book illustration out of the word of God for us. Now, it reminded me the other day I was watching a documentary on the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, I love studying about scuba diving and shipwrecks. I've, I've actually uh, dove on a couple of wrecks. It's quite amazing to see them down there on the bottom of the Gulf and out in the Caribbean. And the first book, the first grown-up book that I ever read as a young person, uh, by grown-up I mean that had words and not just pictures. Uh, I remember checking out of our library when I was in sixth grade at Bassville Elementary uh, was a book by Charles Berlitz on the Bermuda Triangle. And I saw this documentary the other day, and I wanted to go and watch it and see what it was about. And it was about a steamer ship that sunk in, in 1838 by the name of the SS Pulaski. They were diving on this ship. Obviously, it's almost 200 years it's been under the water. And it's down there, and it's kind of er, uh, eroding. It's corroding down there. You can barely tell that it's a ship anymore. But they did something amazing I've never seen done before. Uh, the divers kept swimming around and around and around this large steamer ship, taking thousands upon thousands of pictures. Inside the camera, there was a GPS locator that located their exact spot every picture they took. And so they started at the front and went all the way down the side and come up the back side, all the way back to the front, taking thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pictures from different angles. And when they got back up to the ship, they uploaded all of those pictures. And with modern technology, because there was a GPS locator in that camera, the computer stitched all of the pictures together and recreated a 3D model of the wreck that was on the bottom of the ocean. Now, when you're just looking at the wreck, you can't tell what happened to it. It's hard to tell what brought that steamership to the bottom of the ocean in the Bermuda Triangle. But after a while, all of those angles came together. It painted a clear picture of what caused the destruction, and it was a coral reef. Now, folks, when we look at this city, uh, just on the surface, we may not realize exactly what caused the destruction of the city. But God has given us angle after angle after angle. Think about all the L's we've covered. I had Brother Bo print them off to me the other day. I said, Brother Bo, have we used this L yet? I'm running out of L's. I'm so thankful I can see verse 22. We're closing in on it. And I'm going to get to quit using my thesaurus for a little while. We have looked at the destruction of this city from so many different angles. We've walked up and down the streets of Jerusalem and seen how far-reaching the destruction is and how the lives were changed and how everything good was lost and how everything that was pure was perverted. And God says, I want you to do the same thing those divers did. You've seen Jerusalem from all these different angles. I want you to put a picture together and understand what brought them down. And ultimately, we know that it was sin. Now, what we're reading about in the book of Lamentations gets us to the title of tonight's message. What we're reading about, the book of Lamentations, is nothing less than a glimpse of what is left over after sin. You know, sin's a lot like a, a tornado or a hurricane. When it moves through an area, the leftovers are not good. I don't know about you, I love leftovers. I love them. 
I really do. My wife and my daughter will go out to eat, and they, they just don't have as good an appetite as I do, and they'll always bring home leftovers. I love going through the styrofoam boxes in our refrigerator. It's like a grab bag. You just, it, might be, look, it might be Olive Garden. Uh, it could be Sfoozies. It could be Ed's. You just never know what you're going to find in there. And I love eating their leftovers. It's usually pretty good stuff. But can I tell you tonight, you don't want any part of the devil's leftovers. They're not good. My prayer tonight is we're not just going to hear the words, but we're going to heed them. We do live in the Bible Belt. We live in a place where we've heard these accounts all of our life. But I do think that's the problem. We've only heard these things. How many people I witness to and they tell me, I've heard it all before? Yeah. You know why their life's the same? Because that's all they did was hear it. They didn't heed it. Now, folks, that's why the church hasn't changed a whole lot. We hear the word, but we don't heed it. Now, God says, I want you to take all the snapshots that I've given you for the book of Lamentations, and what you're looking at when you look at Jerusalem and the destruction that's there, you're looking at the leftovers of sin. So tonight, that's the lesson we're going to look at, the lesson of leftovers. And we're not talking about food, okay? We're going to look at three things tonight. We're going to look at two things that sin will leave you without. And we're going to look at one thing that sin will leave you with. So let's pick up in verse 14, and we'll preach what the Lord's given us, and then we'll let you go home as soon as we're done. Uh, I'm going to use Brother Nate's definition of I won't be long, all right? He preached Sunday night, and I'm just going to use his definition of what it won't be long looks like, and I'll get you out about the same time, all right? Verse 14, watch what the Bible says. The elders have ceased from the gate. The elders have ceased from the gate. Now, it's important we understand exactly what he's talking about. You know, when I was a younger man, uh, which could have been yesterday, but uh, years ago as a young man, as a teenager, when I read through the word of God and I would read about someone sitting at the gate, I honestly didn't get it. I'm thinking, I guess that was the hangout spot, you know? There's always a hangout spot everywhere. People kind of hang out in the foyer. We hang out in the lobbies. We hang out in front of the church. And maybe the gate was just the place where it was just the place to be. Uh, if you live anywhere near Jeff Davis County, uh, that's where I grew up most of my life, there is a tree in Bassfield. We call it the unemployment tree. Uh, because every time you go by that tree, great big old pin oak tree in the middle of town, these folks always gathered around that tree in the middle of the day. That's why we call it the unemployment tree, because evidently to be there in the middle of the day, they are unemployed, okay? I thought the gate was just a place where folks like to hang out, but you do a little study and you'll find out it was the place where the, the elders of this city would come, and they would occupy that place, and they would hear cases, and they would try causes, if you will. It was almost a judicial seat, if you will. The gate was the place where they would give out decrees and they would make agreements. Now, here's what I want you to hear specifically about the gate tonight. Verse 14 says, the elders have ceased from the gate. The gate was the place that you came to find truth and you came to find justice. If you had a disagreement with someone, uh, if you had an agreement that you wanted to make with someone, you would go to the gate. The elders sat there. I love the fact the Lord included that word elder. Why? Because there's wisdom with the elders. And the elders would help you decide or make the agreement or help to find justice. We see in Scripture many times, the Bible says that at the king's gate, the king sat at the gate. We find Lot sitting at the gate uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. But here's what happens. As God's people, we get to the place to where we do not want justice. 
We do not want right and we do not want righteousness anymore. The result is in verse 14, the elders have ceased from the gate. Amos 5.10 describes this, and I'll give you point number one. Amos 5.10, the Bible says, they hate him that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. Now remember, the gate was the place you came to find truth and you came to find justice, but notice the first leftover of sin tonight. Number one, sin will leave you without justice. Sin will leave you without justice. Now, pay close attention to this one in particular. You're going to find it eerily familiar to the world that we're living in right now. It's amazing justice has become a catchphrase or a call word, but I fear we have lost track of the true definition of justice. Now, we read verse 14. The Bible says the elders have ceased. They're no longer there. The place, uh, the gate was the place that you came to find justice. But here's what happened. God's people are realizing that when you reject God, you are rejecting justice. Now, why is that? Well, justice means right, and justice means righteousness. To reject righteousness is to reject justice. Now, folks, this is very important. Stick with me here. What they have been left over with here is nothing less than mob rule. They have no gate anymore. That place of justice is gone. Now people come and go and do as they please. Right and righteousness are no longer there. Why? Because God's people have rejected him. And when you reject God, you are rejecting justice because justice is righteousness. And you cannot live unrighteously and still have justice. Why? They're one and the same. Now, you look at America today. Look at America today. We have rejected righteousness. We've rejected it. We do not want to live righteously. We want to live as we want to live and live our way. Watch this. In the rejection of righteousness, we've also rejected justice. They come together. Let me use some examples tonight. Psalms 89, 14. The Bible says, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. You see, God is the only true source of justice. Why? Because he's righteous. God is a just God because he is a righteous God. Now, folks, the reason that we are not capable of justice of ourselves is because we are not righteously inherent of ourselves. Now, understand that tonight. God is righteous. God is holy. God is just. Therefore, God brings with him justice. And when God is kicked out of the equation, we have kicked justice out of the equation, and now the leftover to the vacuum that we've created is mob rule. Look how we're living in America. It's what whoever says is right on this particular occasion is right. Why? Because we've rejected true righteousness, which only comes with God. I saw something the other day that just broke my heart. We're coming back through Monroe, went to see Leslie's grandfather. His health's not great right now, so drove to Arkansas to see him. And driving back, I saw this billboard. I have a picture of it. I'll show it to you right quick. Um, This is a billboard in Monroe, Louisiana, here in the Bible Belt. Abortion access, it's a matter of justice. Abortion access, it's a matter of justice. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not the kind of justice that the Word of God speaks of. That when you take an an innocent life, a life that is supposedly protected in the womb of its mother, 
and you rip it out. Uh, that's not what the Bible calls just now. What kind of justice is that? Where you can willingly destroy a human life in the womb of its mother. That's man's justice. You see, when you reject God's justice, you say, well, I didn't reject God's justice. Yes, we did. When you reject righteousness, you've also rejected justice. And then you're left to man's justice. And that's the kind of justice man comes up with. You say, good night. How perverted could you be? Any one of us are capable of that when we reject God. Because only a righteous judge can give righteous justice. And that's why we must have God as our judge. Why? Because he's just. You don't want us judging each other. Why? Well, Jesus summed it up this way. John 5, 30. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. You see, Jesus could judge righteously. Why? Because he wasn't seeking his will. He sought the will of the Father. Do you know how we judge? We seek our will. Do you know who came up with that billboard? Not somebody who was seeking God's will. Somebody who was seeking their will. Now, folks, look, we've got to understand something tonight. When sin moves through and you allow sin to move through your nation as we have, do not be surprised when justice goes out the window because justice belongs to God because God is the only just one that's there. And when you kick out God, you kicked out justice as well. You can't have one without the other. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.8, Paul, we know, our 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul said it, and we know this verse well, but listen to two words in the middle of this verse. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Do you know why God can judge? Because he's righteous. I'm so glad he's righteous. He's not partial. He doesn't, listen, he doesn't make decisions for one person and make a decision for somebody else. God is a holy, a righteous, a just judge. That's why you want him doing the judging. But when you reject God, you have rejected true justice. And the leftover to that is mob rule. And that's where we're living in America. Justice has gone out the window because we've simply rejected God. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel 8. 1 Samuel 8, I want you to see something. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Such an applicable passage for us tonight. Look down at verse number 5. 1 Samuel 8, look down at verse number 5. Samuel's getting old. The committees come to him and told him this. And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Now watch close. We're going to go back to it in just a second. The people say, Samuel, you're getting old. Your son's not doing right. Give us a king. We want a king. Rather than have the righteous judge over them, they decided we want to be like all of the other nations. Isn't it amazing? We think peer pressure is something new. No, it just goes all the way back. It goes all the way back to the garden. 
They say, we want a king to be like all the other nations. And God says, look, Samuel, give them what they want. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me. Now, I want you to look all the way down real quickly. Verse 11, Samuel begins telling them what kind of king they're going to get. This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants, your goodliest young men and your asses, and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep, and ye shall be his servants. Verse 18. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye, sh- which ye shall have cho- you, chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Do you see what's happening? They didn't want God to reign over them. I don't want God reigning over me. We want a king to be just like everybody else. And watch, when they push God out and don't have a holy, just, righteous God reigning over them, he says, this is what you get. There's two words in there you got to see tonight. If you look down at verse 18, it says, and you shall cry out in that day because of your king. He said, I wasn't going to do that. I would have been a holy, righteous, just king over you. But you rejected me, and now what's happening to you is a result of your king. Can I tell you tonight, look, you cannot reject the just one and have justice. You can't. In America, we're crying out justice, 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 justice. Can I tell you, justice left with the one who invented it, the just one. And when we rejected God, God says, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They rejected me. And one day we get to the place where we cry in that day because of our king that we have chosen, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. I was thinking about it this way, and I'll give you the second point. You can't reject right and expect right at the same time. I want you to think about that statement. You can't reject what is right and yet have the audacity to expect what is right. We've rejected right and we've rejected righteousness, but for some odd reason, we are still living entitled to the righteousness of God? No. No, we're not going to be blessed in our disobedience. So we see, number one, sin will leave us Without justice, keep reading, look down to verse of the second part of verse number 14. The Bible says, the elders have ceased from the gate, the young men from their music. Verse 15, the joy of our heart is ceased, our dance is turned into mourning. Don't you notice the second leftover that sin will leave behind? There's no music in verse 14. The Bible says in verse 15, the joy of their heart is ceased. That's the second thing you'll go without when sin is finished. Number two, sin will leave you without joy. Sin will leave you without joy. Now you think about this. We've talked a lot about joy lately. I have thought a lot about joy lately. You know the the world we're living in? 
the circumstances of our time, it will steal your joy, won't it? It'll, it'll rob you. Look, it'll wear you down. The Bible shows us here that God's people are learning the hard way that sin will leave you without your joy. Now, here's what's amazing. God's people are realizing that everything they had to sing about was from the Lord. Look at it. They're not singing anymore. They've hung their harps on the willows, if you will. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance is turned into mourning. Why? When they rejected God, they rejected the only source of joy. Now, folks, we got to get that tonight. Look, there's a lot of things in life that can make you happy. Food makes me happy. Leftovers make me happy. Vacations make me happy. There's a lot of Krispy Kremes make me happy. But when they're gone, the happiness is gone. I'm waiting on the next dozen to come around. They come and they go. There's a lot of things, listen, that can make you smile. There's only one thing that can bring you joy. And that's of the Lord. That's why it's called the joy of the Lord. We talked about it last Sunday or two Sundays ago. It's his. And Israel's finding out that they have rejected the only source of their joy. Now, a moment ago, I used a term that I'm going to try not to use much anymore. We use the term, it has robbed me of my joy. I think we've all probably used that before. Something's come along, it robbed us of our joy. Now, when you use the word rob, it speaks of losing something against your will, doesn't it? I've been robbed before. Somebody robbed our church vans this past week of our catalytic converters. Can you imagine? Somebody with the audacity. That just shows you the kind of world we're living in, to rob a church van of their catalytic converters. I mean, good night. I'd hate to be them. I hope they needed them that bad. Because there is a holy judge up there that's watching. And if you're watching tonight and you have them, you're welcome to bring them back before we get the mechanics to fit, fix them. But if not, it'll be fine. Folks, listen. When you get robbed, it's against your will. But here's the truth tonight. Nothing can truly rob you of your joy. It can. Let me share with you why. Turn with me to John 15. I want to show you something. You can't really be robbed of your joy. John chapter number 15. We're going to read a familiar passage. Start in verse 5, one of my favorite verses. John chapter 15. Look down at verse number 5. Red letters, Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Well, that's an important lesson. If you could learn that early, it'd help you out a whole lot. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide, keep, notice that word keep being repeated, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you, if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Key verse, verse 11. These things, what things? All the things we just read. Have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full? Now, what's the will of Christ in verse number 11? That our joy remain in us. That means stick around. And that it not only remain, but it be what? Full. Now, it's important to notice he said, these things have I spoken unto you to go back and to read the things that he's spoken unto us. 
And notice how many times the burden comes back to us on whether or not we keep our joy and that it's full. What's the burden? Go back to verse 5. He that abideth in me. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me. Verse number 7, if ye abide in me and I in you. Verse number 8, the Bible says bearing fruit. You keep reading in verse number 10, if, there's a very important word there, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Here's what he's saying. Watch this. You've got to make the decision to abide in Christ in order for his joy to abide in you. It falls back to us. So if you lose your joy, it's not because the devil came up to you and said, stick them up, buddy. Give me your joy. He cannot do that. Look, look, he can't rob you of your joy, but he can sure talk you out of it by tempting you with something to trade your joy for. You get it? He can't rob you of your joy. It's the will of God that his joy abide in you and that your joy be full. Now, look, we can complain about it and say, hey, I was robbed. You weren't robbed. You were just ripped off. You ever been ripped off? Hurts, doesn't it? Man, you go to Walmart and and you buy something and you pay 50 bucks for it and you go to dirt cheap and the same thing's there for $10. Sure, it may be a table missing a leg, but hey, you know, $40 off. Boy, I feel like I got ripped off. Do you know what a ripoff is? Is when you agree to something and get an inferior product, but you agreed on it. That's what a ripoff is. You get ripped off. You're like, man, that's not what I thought it was. Now, look, you can complain about being ripped off, but don't say that the devil robbed you of your joy. It was the will of Christ that your joy remain in you and remain full, but it was on you to abide in him and to keep his commandments. That's on us. You see, we make the choice whether or not we're going to abide in him. So here's what the devil does. He comes up to us and causes a hard time in our life. Having a rough time. 2020, rough time. 2021, rough time. And after a while, you say, I'm tired of doing this God thing for two years now. It's just been rough after rough after rough. And all of a sudden, we decide, you know what? I'm going to get out of church. I'm tired of this. We get weary in our will doing. And we step out on God and we quit on God. Next thing you know, we find that our joy is dwindling. Why? Because the devil took it through COVID? No, because we chose that because of COVID, we weren't going to abide in God. That's what happened. That's what happened. We choose tonight. Look, you choose to cough up your joy when the devil offers you a pity party or a momentary pleasure to get out of the will of God. You chose to cough up your joy for that. I do it all the time. I'll tell you, somebody's been a huge blessing to me in the past, I don't know, probably six to nine months, and he told me he wasn't going to be here tonight, Brother Thatch. Brother Thatch has been a tremendous blessing to me. Uh, Brother Thatch battling cancer, been battling cancer for a while now. There's not a day that goes by, I don't get a text from Brother Thatch of encouragement of how sweet it is to walk with Jesus. I'm thinking to myself, boy, if I was battling cancer, I'd probably have a bad attitude. I might even quit on God. But you know what? His circumstances can't rob him of his joy. It's still there. Still there. Can I tell you? Cancer can't take your joy. Problems at home can't take your joy. Now, you can choose not to abide in God. You can choose not to keep the commandments. And you can trade your joy for that opportunity to step out on God. But he can't take it from you. But what does sin do? Sin will leave you without joy. Adam and Eve, did they have joy in the garden? Oh, they had to have. 
They're living in a perfect, uncursed world. Adam and Eve could have had a pity party. Well, the devil just took it all from them. He didn't take nothing from them. They traded it. They got ripped off. Do you know that's why Moses said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Do you know what Moses did? Watch, the devil comes to Moses, says, Moses, why don't you just get out of that God thing? You're gonna go suffer? You're gonna go suffer? When you could be sitting on the throne and have all the riches and all that, and, and all of a sudden Moses had enough wisdom and spiritual discernment to say, you're trying to rip me off, man. You're trying to rip me off. He says, I would rather suffer than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You see, that's what the devil offers you, pleasure, but it's for a season. Joy is lasting. Sin is for a season. Could I beg you of something tonight? Beware of trading your joy for pleasure. Young people, be, beware of trading your joy for pleasure. Pleasure, look, yeah, it lasts, but for a season, joy lasts even with a cancer diagnosis. Your home flies apart. Catastrophe hits, you lose a loved one, you lose a child. And your world, like Job's world, is just spiraling out of control. The devil comes up to you at that moment and says, see what your God did for you? He wasn't there for you. Why don't you just quit? And you know what? Going and doing your own thing for a little while might bring you a little bit of pleasure. But it's in those moments you need your joy or else he wouldn't want it. That's why the devil's tried to rob us so often of our joy. Number two, What's the second leftover of sin? Well, the Bible says in verse 14, it says, the young men have ceased, the young men from their music, the joy of our heart has ceased, our dance has turned into mourning. Sin's gonna leave you left without your joy. You see that in the prodigal son. He had pleasure, but he lost his joy. Psalm 16, 11, I'll give you the last thing. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Now, I want you to notice there's a key part of that verse we got to understand. He says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Look, it's no wonder the devil tries to lure us away from God. Why? Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. You say, I just, man, my joy is just gone. The devil robbed it. No, watch. Every step you take away from the presence of God, your joy goes down. Weird thing happens in my car. The more I drive up and down the road, the more the gas needle goes down. Yeah, weird thing. The more I keep going, the less fuel I have. And man, lately, it's rough to fill that dude up. It's the same way spiritually. The more you keep going away from God, that joy needle just keeps down, down, down. Why? Psalm 1611, that will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. That's why he's trying to lure you away. He wants your joy. And sin will leave you without joy. But let's look down and give you the last thing and we'll be done. Look at verse 16. The crown is fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. The last thing I want to show you tonight, I've showed you two things sin will leave you without, right? It leaves you without justice, and it leaves you without joy. 
The last thing I want to show you is verse 16, and it shows you one thing the devil's going to leave you with. Now, notice God's people are being demoted, if you will. God has knocked their crown off. You think about what a crown is. A crown shows exaltation. A crown shows a regal person. The crown shows someone who is exalted in a position of authority. And now the Bible says, verse 16, the crown has fallen from their heads. What is God doing? God's judging his people. God's judging his people. The one thing I believe sin will leave you with tonight, notice this, sin will leave you with judgment. Sin will leave you with judgment. I think a lot about how many times I've invited out to eat and I've invited people to go out to eat and uh, how cruel it would be for me to invite you out to eat and we go sit and we're eating together and I get up, pretend to go to the restroom and just walk out of the restaurant after we've eaten and leave you with the bill. Now, I know there's some Baptist preachers out there that have done it. Matter of fact, when I, my first day in Bible college, I went with another preacher to get coffee. We put the coffee up there on the counter, and uh, I pulled out my wallet. I, I paid for my coffee, and I paid for his coffee. He goes, I can tell you've not been preaching long. I said, what's that supposed to mean? He goes, well, you've got to learn how to fumble your wallet until the other guy pays for it. I looked over at him. So what kind of a Baptist preacher are you? Evidently, he's a normal Baptist, because I've had a few do that to me several times in, in my ministry. That's the way the devil will do you. The devil will enjoy the meal with you, and the devil will have the fun with you. But when it comes time to pay, he's gone. You notice as God is demoting them and taking the crown off and bringing them low, the devil is nowhere to be found. He skipped out on the check, and he'll do that every time for you and I. He's going to invite you to his pleasures in the far country. Just ask the prodigal son. The devil invited him to a full course meal. I mean, probably, maybe as good as Golden Corral. The table was set. It was a buffet of all the pleasure you could want. And the son says, Dad, I got to go. And he departs out of the presence of his father. And he goes into the far country. And he enjoys the meal. And yet when we find him in the slop and the mud and the stink, he's all alone. The devil has left him to pick up the tab. Why? Because sin will leave you with judgment and you will suffer the judgment all alone. He'll take your joy and he'll take our justice, but he'll leave you with the judgment. It reminds me of my uncle. I don't know if he's watching tonight, but I'm not picking on him if he is. I love him anyway. When I was a kid, he was the fun uncle, but not like me. I'm considered the funkle in our family, the fun uncle. But he was the funkle that would get you in trouble and have fun at the same time. I don't get my nieces and nephews in trouble as far as I know. He came over to the house one day while my dad was at work. He says, hey, you want to go fishing? I said, yeah, let's go fishing. He says, you have any poles? I says, I have one, but dads are in the shop or in the shed. He said, well, let's go get them. I said, we can't use dad's fishing pole. My dad had a fancy jig pole that he would go white perch fishing with, and that was off limits to us because my brother and I would find a way to break it. But he's always found a way to break it. Doesn't matter what we were doing, we are going to break dad's fishing pole accidentally. Finally, Uncle Dennis talked me into getting them out of the shed. I said, all right, well, we've got to take care of them. And so we stick them in the trunk of his car. We go fishing. We didn't catch anything. We're on our way home. The trunk comes open. The pole falls out of the trunk and shatters. It was a fiberglass jig pole. He drops me off at the house with the broken poles. He goes somewhere other than where I was. 
It just seems like clockwork. Here comes that 86 Ford F-150 across the railroad tracks, turns up the driveway, go from asphalt to dirt. You could hear it coming. My heart's pounding every moment I hear that truck coming. I didn't know what else to do. I just walked in the house and said, Dad, I broke your fishing pole. He said, how did you break your fishing pole? Because you're not even supposed to touch it. How can you break it if you're not touching it? Oh, not only did I touch it, I took it fishing with his brother, his brother, and I can remember I got a good old whooping for that. But here's the sad thing. My uncle was not there to get the whooping with me. Now that I'm bigger than him, younger than him, probably stronger than him, I think I need to pay a visit to South Florida to visit my uncle. Why? Because he let me take the judgment. He had the fun with me, but he let me take the judgment. And that's what sin's going to leave you with. It's going to take away justice because justice only comes from a righteous God. And when you reject him and his righteousness, you reject justice. And then you've lost your joy. He's going to leave you without your joy. But don't worry, he's not going to leave you empty-handed. He's going to leave you with the judgment that is there. I want you to think about this before we close. When David sinned with Bathsheba, as David would bury the children that would die as a result of that sin, I don't think the devil was there to grieve with him, do you? He wasn't there. When Lot left Sodom, his wife turned and became a pillar of salt. I don't think the devil was there to grieve with him over his wife either. All go throughout, we go throughout Scripture, we see instance after instance of disobedience, and yet we see people die, like Samson dying alone. The devil wasn't on the bottom of that pile with Samson. Samson was all alone. Why? Because the only thing the devil will leave you with is judgment. And now here we are in America. America's going through it right now. And where's the one who we made the deal with to reject our God for the pleasures of the sin that we have been living in for the season? He's nowhere to be found. Why? Because sin will leave you just with the judgment. There's a military term. I did not learn the exact term until today called cashiering. I did not know that was what it was called, but I looked it up today and found out. If you've ever watched some of these old military shows, maybe an old West show, uh, when a soldier steps out of line, gets out of line, does something, and they demote him, they bring him out there into the courtyard, and they start tearing the stripes off of his shoulder, throwing him on the ground. They pull out his saber, and they break his saber, and they throw it on the ground. They take the buttons and the medals off his shirt and they throw them on the ground and they grind them into dust and he's standing there all along suffering judgment. This is what God's people are going through. God's knocking the crown off. God says, I raised you up and then you denied me. So now I'm knocking your crown off. I feel like America's crown's being knocked off tonight. God's stripping us of our honor. God says, I gave you the honor. God says, I gave you the crown. God says, I gave you the medals. And yet you decided to reject me, and so you've lost justice, you've lost your joy, and the only thing you're left with is the judgment. Now, folks, we can't turn America around tonight by ourselves, but we can turn us around. We can turn our homes around, and we can make sure this church is turned in the right direction it needs to go. And then maybe by the grace of God, we can help turn Hattiesburg around. And then maybe Hattiesburg can help turn Mississippi around. And then Mississippi can help the rest of our country be turned around. But it all begins in the hearts of God's people. To realize tonight, you don't want the leftovers of sin. 
You'll be left without joy, without justice, and you'll be left holding the bag of judgment when sin is done. Let's make sure tonight, let's make sure we're doing what God would have us to as the people of God. That way we can help our country that we're praying for tonight.